This episode of Converge with my guest, Rachel Rogers, is sponsored by Gobi Collective. Gobi is my favorite community for creative entrepreneurs on the internet. It's built from the ground up to inspire, equip, and catalyze you and your business. For more information, check out gobcollective.com. Converge is my chance to connect with creatives who make really interesting things. And when they can, profit from those things, often in ways that might surprise you. My background as a photographer and author gets me in conversations with visual storytellers and writers, but also musicians, actors, business and thought leaders, basically people who work very hard, not just to make a buck, but also to make a point. The invitation is to understand a little more of the context that surrounds their work and hopefully discover a fresh perspective that might inspire something new around the value you're making in the world. It's the little things, those little hiccups, those little places where we get tripped up that make all of the difference, where it just gets tough to take something that we make and make something from it. And oftentimes that comes in the form of things like accounting or finance or legal. These are like categories that we just want to have somebody else take care of it. Well, our guest today is Rachel Rogers, and she is the author of an amazing program called The Small Business Bodyguard. And she works specifically with independent and creative entrepreneurs just like us who are interested in relating with that side of things in a whole new way. Rachel is an attorney. She's a part of the bar in New Jersey and New York. But I think what you'll discover is she's the kind of person that you'd want to hang out with at a bar and enjoy a drink or two because she brings a new and fresh perspective to what it could look like for you and I to relate with the law in a way that could make all the difference. You're an entrepreneur creating valuable intellectual property. You have value to offer and you have to take steps to protect it. And you need to let people know that you take your business very seriously. And that's one of the ways to do it. I'm your host, Dane Sanders, and I want to welcome you to Converge. Rachel Rogers, welcome to Converge. Thank you so much for having me. I am so glad that you're here. We had the chance to meet through a common friend in Josh Kaufman, and Josh is a client of yours and somebody who has a ton of respect for what you do. And anytime you know these endorsements come in from people I have such respect for, I jump at it. And in this case, it was kind of nice. Like, I like Josh. I think I like you better. Like, you're just, <laughs> <laughs> you, you bring a lot of flair to a conversation that a lot of folks, uh, they resist this conversation. They're intimidated by law. Uh, you're an attorney, you're licensed in multiple states, and you have created something pretty special for independent entrepreneurs who probably need legal help more than most, and they don't even know it. But talk a little bit about how you went from law student, you know, working for folks like, you know, Hillary Clinton and others, and getting to a place where now you're working with folks that are maybe a little less in the kind of grand public spotlight, but uh, have no less need for help. Yes. Well, um, I think that's hilarious that uh, <laughs> you like me more than Josh. That's great. Um, uh, so I was in law school. I always wanted to be a lawyer since I was like, eight years old. So um, that was always the plan. I went to law school and was really disappointed to find that I felt like I really didn't fit in in a lot of the different tracks that people were on. Like either they went the big firm, you know, the big law firm track, or they went the public interest track. And then there's also some like 
less obvious tracks like, you know, insurance or HR or other places you could go and other things you could do with your law degree. And I tried a lot of different things. I interned a lot of different places, but just felt like nothing was really a good fit for me. And then that coupled with reading the four hour work week (laughs) by my last year of law school, I was just feeling like I didn't want to go the traditional path. I wanted to just forge my own path and do my own thing. It is so funny how many careers Tim Ferriss has ruined. (laughs) it's striking you know pretty much i'd say 80 percent of my guests have been have been somehow influenced by that joker and uh um and 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 it's so funny you say that because my i wrote my first book i self-published my first book and then i got a call from acquisitions at random house and it turned into a two-book deal never thought myself an author until that fateful day when i was walking through costco and saw the four-hour work week and i saw the title i didn't know who tim was i literally was like Okay, this is the last time I'm buying one of these books. I'm not going to do like because I've been so disapp- I was so disappointed for so long. And then I read that book, and he talks about, you know, really it, it was almost like a new version of what colors your parachute, like reframing your whole life with the new tools so that you can create a whole new existence. And and talking specifically about taking intellectual property because it's so much harder to replicate and putting that in a form that others could really benefit from, and you could too, and scale it and create all these fun things. So it sounds like, I didn't know that we had this commonality, but we have a lot in common in that. Because I've always felt like a misfit. Like I could never get into what other people's tracks were. Exactly. Yeah. It's tough because everyone thinks that you're crazy. You know, I had just spent a fortune going to law school and the plan was always to just go that route. And really, I saw myself going into public interest, but I didn't like that either. I didn't love that the path and the way it was set up either. So it was really hard for me to figure it out. And so I was lucky that I had a clerkship lined up with a judge Um, So I worked for a judge for a year, which was great. It really, really built my confidence because from day one, you know, I just graduated from law school and I'm telling all these lawyers what to do. You know, it was great (laughs) because, you know, I'm like the judge's right hand. So Uh it was awesome. And then I used that time. You know, the other great thing about it was like one of the few nine to five jobs for a lawyer. So I was able to use that time, you know, in the evenings and weekends and early mornings and things like that to map out a plan to start my own practice and do a lot of research. And I interviewed tons of lawyers who had their own practices to try to figure out how it works and how I can make this work. So so just so people are clear at home, when you say the different tracks, one of the tracks you've mentioned a few times now is public interest, which as I understand it is really the common good, like people helping people out that need help. Is that a fair yes. way to put it? Yes, absolutely. You know, it's, you know, you could be a public defender, um, you could work in family law and help you know, with child support issues or custody issues or things like that. And really it's mainly for low income people. So that's the general, there's a lot of different things you could do within that realm. Mm -hmm. As you're describing this idea of, of public interest. And I think about our world that we, especially this kind of very digitized world where it seems like everyone is a freelancer on some level. I think you actually did get into the public interest business, uh, but you just targeted folks that actually have the potential to make money in that you're, you're working with entrepreneurs who probably need it just as much as anybody who needs a public defender. I mean, is, is that too strong of a statement? No, I actually 100% agree. And that was the funny thing is, you know, I decided to go into business law and intellectual property and just kind of, it was almost like 
maybe shunning public interest in a, a little bit, or at least maybe that's what I thought I was doing, that those were the potential clients that I, that was the pool of people I had access to at the end of my clerkship. And so that's why I decided to go that route. And also family law had just sucked the life out of me because my clerkship was in family law. And I was just like, I know that I can't do on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> um, but that's what happened is I wound up realizing that businesses are not big corporations. You know, businesses are run by people and people help. They need legal help. So it was really interesting how I did get into that world. And I do spend a lot of time helping tons of people every day. And some of it is pro bono. Most of it is paid in one way or another. But yeah, so it's funny how that wound up happening anyway. Well, and and entrepreneurs, they, when they do good work, when they take, like, it seems like I've heard folks like Seth Godin and others talk about how nonprofits existed initially to solve a problem. Like they're trying to solve a problem. And it seems like in that in that space of common good or solving a com- like a social ill or a social problem it seems like in this day and age with all these interesting corporations that are getting introduced and even like for profits like toms and how they're trying to create more value than just profit and i when i think of entrepreneurs especially this generation this upcoming generation of entrepreneurs it seems like they're increasingly interested in doing good for things bigger than themselves talk a little bit about your world like the, this this personal bodyguard thing small business bodyguard i said personal because i could i think if we got stuck in an alley you'd, you'd save the day with me but um <laughs> uh, uh, I, I just so let's talk about so specifically about what are some of the areas that that entrepreneurs have blind spots for like things that i'm guessing every conversation you have with like there's just a lot of optimists who are entrepreneurs and it feels like you have to be an optimist to kind of get after these things. Cause if you saw all of the potential kind of pitfalls, you, you wouldn't do it. And the folks, they jump in they're they're after it, but they're naive in some pretty obvious categories. And if they shore those categories up, their life, their future life will get a lot better. What are some of the obvious rookie mistakes? Yes. So the conversations that I have every day are around probably my biggest two pet peeves are contracts, not having a contract at all, which drives me bananas. There's just so many aspects of business that really every single relationship that you have that your company has with anyone for anything should be in writing. Um, So licensing deals, affiliate agreements, client service agreements with your clients, independent contractor agreements with your contractors that you're working with, definitely employment agreements with your employees. Just contracts save the day. Always, always have contracts. That's really what it's all about for me. That's one. Then the other one is intellectual property. That's the other one that drives me absolutely bananas. And I'm actually working on putting together a book proposal because I'm going to write a book on it. Because I feel like small businesses really think that intellectual property is for big corporations. And that is just not true. We're creating a ton of IP every day. Well, let's talk about both those things in turn and break it down a little bit because I, I'm, I'm, I think this is so, it's so common, like what you're describing, this notion, especially the IP piece. But I want to get to that in turn. So let's start with contracts. When you say licensing, I have a little bit of context for licensing, but it mainly came from, again, Tim Ferriss, like learning about, oh, wow, you can actually monetize through licensing. And, and, and to be fair, Josh Coppin talks a lot about licensing as a vehicle for, for creating value. Um, yes. Uh, talk a little bit about when you say licensing in, in really basic terms for folks who've never heard it before, what do you mean when you say licensing? When I say licensing, I mean renting. So think of it as, you know, if you have a condo and you're going away for a month and you're going to rent it out like on Airbnb or something for the month, the same idea with licensing, you have content, you have 
intellectual property that you've created, whether it's your brand or whether it's, you know, a workshop or whether it's a piece of technology that you've created and you can rent out that IP to another company who wants to use it in some way. So it's just really smart and it's great in terms of a revenue model as well. One of the reasons why I'm interested in talking about these distinctions is I think there's folks at home who, especially if they're in the service side of things, like I just came back from an event I spoke at in uh, in Cancun, uh, where it was all luxury weddings. So these kind of uber elite planners, florists, like people with like millions of dollars of floral budget, <laughs> like uh, wow. uh, annually. Uh, it, it's great, like for Four Seasons or like these pretty Ritz or whoever, these bigger, bigger hotels, but also like stationers and photographers and developers, it's all these different folks that are trying to raise the game at the highest level within a particular industry. And because they're really good at a skill, they're leveraging their skill, they're trading their time for money. But some of these vehicles, not only if they got after, say, licensing or affiliates, if they get their mind around how they could protect themselves, they they might also create new revenue streams that they didn't even know existed. I mean, yes. my guess is with a lot of your clients, as you're trying to protect them, you're also opening up vehicles for them to make more money. Absolutely. I mean, that's really what it's all about. That's what intellectual property is about. It's about making money when you're not actually working. You know, that's what gets me excited about it. It's the same reason why content, that's how you should think about it. Content is IP. That's really what it is. And there are so many different ways to monetize your content, licensing being one of them. There's just so many ways in which you can really take the knowledge base that's in your business and, you know, turn it into something that makes money. So people who get after small business bodyguard and they, they get the course and they, they, they watch the videos, they get all the downloads, all the contract, like it's, I've, I've been on the inside. It's amazing the things that you provide on that product line and talk a little bit about how, like if, if someone were to go get it today, what that does for them, because it, does it just give them contracts? Does it explain some of these possibilities? How, if, if you're that, that florist or that photographer or that whatever, who has content and wants to leverage that content to generate revenue, how does contracts get them closer to that outcome? Yes. So what I did with Small Business Bodyguard, the reason I created it was because I would talk to a lot of entrepreneurs every day who couldn't afford me. And I felt bad just sending them away saying, you know, you know, good luck out there. You know, (laughs) I didn't want to send them off to, you know, left to their own devices. And there really was nothing that I could refer them to because all the legal books are really written for lawyers and they're just a snooze fest. They can be a snooze fest even for a lawyer. (laughs) So, (laughs) So I decided to create a, like basically download my brain, the actual steps that I take my clients through. When I work with a retainer client, there are a bunch of things that we're going to do throughout that first year of us working together. And so I took all of that and put it into this guide. And that's what Small Business Bodyguard is. And so creating that legal foundation is important for anything that you want to do. And on a lot of times, if you're trying to do business with a larger organization, you won't be able to if you, for example, are not incorporated. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to believe in yourself, take those steps to put that legal foundation in order so that you're ready when the big opportunities come your way and you're in a position to go after those big opportunities. So that's what that legal foundation does. You can't start thinking about licensing your IP without 
protecting it first. You have to register the trademarks first. You have to register your copyrights first. All of that has to happen. You have to have contracts in place, terms and conditions, privacy policy, a licensing agreement with the people you're going to do business with. You have to have agreements with your clients because every contract is transacting an intellectual property. When you work with a client, you are teaching them your methods. And so you have to have IP clauses in your client service agreement, letting them know that they are allowed to use this in their own business, but not in a commercial sense where they now take your material and start selling it to their own clients. You know, so every same thing with contractors, when you work with a contractor, they're creating IP on your behalf. Your designer is designing a logo who owns that logo? It has to be clear in the contract. If you hire a copywriter who's writing all this content for you, who owns it? If you don't have it in a contract, you don't know. And the problem doesn't happen right then when you're writing the content. The problem happens when it takes off and suddenly it's making a lot of money and now everybody wants their hands in it. You know, So it's really, really important to take those steps. Every single business deal you're doing, you are transacting an intellectual property. So you have to protect it in your contracts and then you have to register it. So that's what Small Business Bodyguard does for you. It shows you how to walk through all those steps. It has the step-by-step process for forming an S-Corp. It has a step-by-step process for registering a copyright and pretty much everything in between. So yeah, all of that stuff is in there and it's really designed to take the place of, you know, if you're in a position where you can't hire a lawyer, well, you have the next best thing to working with a lawyer one-on-one. Yeah. Well, it's, it, there's, so there's several angles that I'm hearing on this conversation. Uh, one is it's the wellness model, right? Like it's it, instead of a reactive model, like something, you know, something traumatic happens, you get sued, you get a, a, a cease and desist on your own content that you're trying to do. And I'm sure that happens sometimes where people create content, somebody steals it and then they protect it and they come back at you and they're like, you can't use it. I'm sure there's the, a lot of those kinds of dynamics. And the wellness model, it seems to me, is probably the easiest one to put off. Like if I don't feel sick, why do I why do I pay attention to that? But if I do it right, I don't ever have to feel sick. Um, yes. So so there's that kind of approach, and if that's motivating for some people, they should do it. But a second one, which we mentioned at the beginning, was this notion of actually going down this road and and getting the resources opens up opportunity. It's not just this chore you have to accomplish. The third one that strikes me as interesting is once you get your your kind of legal house in order, even though there's still ongoing work to do, there's a benefit like this. Talk a little bit about how how much higher your clients' heads are tall <laughs> and their confidence when they walk out of these experiences knowing that they have a foundation that they're standing on. Absolutely. It's it's actually really fascinating and something I didn't know until, you know, I was working with clients for, you know, over a year or two, like the first two years of my practice. I realized that you know, clients come to me feeling sort of like, oh, I'm just a lowly small business. They're scared to go to a lawyer in the first place because they're like, oh, it's not a real business and I don't want to waste a lawyer's time and that well, kind of thing. Well, they're terrified. It's mysterious. Yes. They don't know what, like they don't understand what's on the other side of it. This is why I'm so struck by your your invitation because you're actually this kind of like, you put the fun in lawyer and there's no F-U-N in lawyer, like at all, <laughs> Like you, but you put it in and it's it's so disarming. But we're talking, talking specifically for people who are running a small business, they're a little terrified all the time, but they don't want to tell anybody. And when they go through this drill, they they find themselves on the other side with a, with a whole different level of confidence. 
Yes, absolutely. And that, that's what happens when you've protected your IP, when you can answer questions like, you know, what's your business entity? And you can say, oh, we're an S corp or, oh, we're an LLC. So all those things that were a mystery, they're no longer a mystery. And that's whether you purchase Small Business Bodyguard or working with me one-on-one, I really make sure that my clients understand what I'm doing. I don't just say, oh, you have this problem. Okay, let me draft this contract. Here's the contract. Go get it signed and that's it. No, I'm going to explain to you what's in the contract. I'm going to make you read it and give me feedback. <laughs> you know, There's a process because I want you to understand what's happening here and why it's so important. You know, There's just so many benefits um, and there's so many ways in which the world sees you differently when you're just doing business the way it should be done in a very professional way. I think we think of ourselves as like, oh, you know, I'm just this lowly entrepreneur and really stop thinking that way. You're an entrepreneur creating valuable intellectual property. You have value to offer and you have to take steps to protect it. And you need to let people know that you take your business very seriously. And that's one of the ways to do it. One of my favorite shows that I watch with my wife and kids is Shark Tank. And one of the reasons why I enjoy it so much is it seems like there's always like there's at least two kinds of of folks that are pitching that the sharks are considering. There's the folks that are prepared and the folks that aren't. And it seems like the, <laughs> the, the sharks the sharks are consistent, like they're they're brutal, like they're merciless to the folks that clearly don't have their stuff together. But the ones that do, it's amazing to watch the way they shift. Like the the folks that are ready to to write serious checks in investment for these businesses, you can you can see it. Like, do they know their numbers? Do they have their trademarks? Do they have their like their the, is their business model sound? Do they know what they're doing? And I always I, I'm watching for that all the time when I'm watching the show. And my kids notice it too. They're like, "Oh, this one's going to get funded. Oh, they're crazy. You know, oh, Mark's going to go for this. No, it's going to be Barbara. This is a Barbara thing. Like, it's so funny to see to see how everyone gets how intuitively when people have their stuff together, just it, it raises the equity stake in their business. And it's right. it sounds like this what you're describing is a decision to really invest in your business as opposed to just work your business to make a couple more dollars. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. So, so if that's true, I'm so curious with all the clients you've worked with and you, you know, you have over 1500 customers who've, who've gotten your legal kits. And by the way, side note, you know, your big kahuna product, the, the uh, small business bodyguard is phenomenal. And you also have some other products in there that are just amazing for photographers and coaches. And I know you have some other ones coming over 1500 people have participated in it. How much would you estimate cumulative? I mean, just stab in the dark. How much money was being left on the table before your clients got involved, like got their stuff together? <laughs> oh my God. It, it, wouldn't that be an interesting number to know? Like, it just strikes me like if people understood how much money, people always complain about cash flow and they need more cash. But in the midst of that, they have real assets right in front of them that they've not capitalized. And because they're not capitalized, they're not like they, they could solve their own problem if they just got those things together. Is that a, is that too strong a statement? No, I think it's totally accurate. It makes me think of a person I spoke to last week. Um, she's in the, she's a belly dancer, very well-known belly dancer, trains other belly dancers, has all these DVDs and workbooks and workshops about belly dancing, you know? So it's just, it's her thing. She's created a ton of IP and doesn't take the, and says, you know, 
I said to her, I said, are you, have you thought about creating a licensing certification program for the other belly dancers that you, that want to train with you? You know, that's an, that's an obvious model for you. You have all the materials to offer them. Um, and you've got the audience and she's like, well, I really want to do it, but, um, I need a licensing agreement to do it. So that's why I haven't done it. And I'm like, wow. do you know how much a licensing agreement costs? It's a couple thousand dollars. So yeah, it's not cheap. It's not 200 bucks, but are you going to stop ma- from making hundreds of thousands of dollars because you don't want to spend 3,500? You know what I mean? Like seriously, right. <laughs> it drives <Right>. me bananas. <laughs> seriously, it's nuts. And I, I, I think that's true for pretty much all of my clients. You know, they, they, they come to me and the ones who really have it together, they'll come to me, get their brand together and then immediately start killing it. You know, that's what happens with trademarks too. It's like, then they really, they're like, Oh, I've taken the steps to, to protect this, to register this. Now I'm going to put it out there like crazy and go nuts and, and, and take advantage of every opportunity available to me. That's what happens. Last thing, if you are talking to, um, and you are right now, to, I hope, thousands of people <laughs> online uh, and on their radios, if you're talking to folks, creatives in particular, folks who make things, and up until now, they've been relating with the law uh, with pure fear. Uh, in fact, they might even hear some of this and go, oh, they're just selling fear. They're just like, you're not selling fear. You're selling resource. You're selling assets to people <laughs> uh, and to protect their assets and and more. Um what, like you're at a cocktail party that someone finds out what you do and you want to leave like one thought in their mind that will, that you just want to bug them with. You don't want, you want them to either do something with it or like, like gouge their ears out. Like what, what, what do you want to have in their head when it comes to how they ought to relate with the law in the highest and best way? Yes. The example that I would use or what I often tell people is that large corporations have lots of shareholders. They have a lot of people who they are required to turn a profit for. You know, they are legally required to get the best return on investment for their shareholders. As small businesses, we have stakeholders. We have our customers, the communities that we operate in, our children, our spouses, our families, our friends, the world around our business, you know, those people that matter to us, that are stakeholders in our business, like the success of our business benefits their lives. You know, whether my kid goes to the expensive private school I really want to send her to or not is directly related to how well my business does. So I like for people to think of it like that. You have stakeholders that you owe a duty to, to get the maximum return on investment, right? So you have a duty to them to do the best you can to make your business as successful as possible. It's not just about you and what you want. And I think that when you think about it that way, it makes people more willing to take risks and to do things that they're scared of and to conquer the parts of their business that they really feel lost with. The example I'll give you is I'm now starting to get into metrics for, you know, our product sales and conversion rates and A-B testing. I hate that stuff. I've avoided it for five years, you know, and luckily my business has still been pretty successful. But from what my advisors tell me, it would be a lot more successful if I paid attention to those things. And so now I'm forcing myself to do it. I hate that stuff and have zero desire to pay attention to it. But I know if I do those hard things, that that's what's going to lead to additional success for my business. And I owe it to my stakeholders 
the stakeholders for my business to conquer that. So that's how I want people to think about it. The law is something that you can use for your benefit. It's not something that is scary or can harm you. It actually can do a lot more harm if you don't pay attention to it. If you pay attention to it, it's something that you can use to benefit you. And especially as a independent entrepreneur or small business creating IP, the law is there to protect you. It's there to protect your brand. It's there to protect your copyright. So you should see it as something that is good for you and not bad. It's probably worth mentioning too that that isn't true internationally. Like we have a really unique privilege if folks are listening to this here in the United States and, and probably in Canada. But th- there's a sense in which we, because intellectual property is so protectable in this country, uh, where it, it's crazy to not take advantage of it. Again, that's not too strong to say, correct? I, uh, that's absolutely true. There are places like even in the United Kingdom, their copyright laws they they do have copyright laws, but they don't have the system that we have to register and protect your copyrights. It's so, so important. And something so simple, it creates a huge deterrent for someone to then steal your work if you've registered the copyright for it. So it's just, just that simple step. And the copyright application costs $55. It's something you can totally do on your own, not something to be scared of. It's something that you can just totally master and take care of and do on a regular basis as you're creating new content. So how can people find you? So I am at rogerscollective.com. That's where you can find me and stuff about my services and the legal kits. And I've got a web show called Rachel Rogers TV where I ham it up a little bit and (laughs) give you legal tips (laughs) that you can check out there too. And you spell Rogers the right way with a D, correct? Yes, yes. Perfect. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here, Rachel. You're amazing. Thank you on behalf of all the entrepreneurs who's tales you are saving. We are grateful. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. This was episode 049 of Converge, the business of creativity podcast. GobyCollector.com is our new home for all things Converge. There you'll find past episodes as well as Go, the unconference for creators looking to grow their business, faster mind coaching, business coaching every entrepreneur can afford, and much, much more. Want to join the collective? Check out GobyCollective.com. Music today provided by TripleStreetMusic.com. Stand as good as you look. Thanks to Anna Quaza at acreative.co for audio production. And a special thanks to Rachel for being with us. Visit her at RogersCollective.com. That's with a D. Finally, if you haven't shared an episode of Converge with a friend, would you? Think of one person right now who you think would benefit from my conversations with. Seth Godin, Chris Gillibo, Ann Hanley, Rachel Rogers, Ryan Holiday, and many, many others. And invite him to join in. You caring enough to do that sort of thing is a nod that we're doing something right and leaving those comments on iTunes. And we see those, by the way. It's a really big deal. And we're grateful. So thanks. That's it for now. I'm Dane Sanders. I cannot wait until next time.